Hey, everybody, and welcome to Questionable, the Apostolic Apologetic Podcast. We are excited to have you with us today. We are again round two and a roundtable discussion with some of our young adults here at Apostolic Tabernacle in Wilmington. And we are with your host, the incredible Nick. What's your last name, Nick? Norris. Norris. I thought I said Bertram. That's your middle name. That's that's when you start getting um, Instagram hashtags mixed up, Instagram handles mixed up with names. So we're so excited to be here with Nick Norris, and we are excited for what he's going to bring us. So jump right in and join us. Hey again, everybody. Thanks for being with us today. Um, Today, I want to try to get us through two uh, kind of major major hurdles, and those will be, first, we're going to try to work on a a working definition of what we mean when we say God. And then secondly, we're going to be making what we call a teleological argument as evidence for the existence of the God that we're going to try to define. Okay, so we will begin in an attempt to define what we mean when we say God. For thousands of years, there's been thousands of intellectuals through Uh, many cultures who have wrestled with uh, this question or this definition. We've probably all heard in conversation someone rather simply and almost passively asking another individual, do you believe in God? Typically, the answer is uh, is often a statement or a declaration of faith, um, but I think it can sometimes miss the implication and consequences of of whether that answer is true, whether God does exist or not. So today, we're going to try to think maybe outside the traditional boxes of whether we just believe in his existence or not. Um, typically, it's, it's maybe a trap of the last thousand years of philosophy of, of Western culture, but we think of God as a being, lowercase b, um, rather than being of itself, capital B, being in and of itself. Uh, I would say this has... Uh, philosophical implications and consequences, but also has theological significance as well. Um, just a few quick examples. God told Abr- or God told yeah, God told Moses. Excuse me, not Abraham. God told Moses, "I am." Basically, he's saying, uh, I think another translation actually says, "I will be what I will be," or or "I exist." Uh, Jesus repeats these words himself. He says, "I am." Paul tells philosophers in Acts 17 that this unknown God is actually God manifest in the flesh as in Jesus. And he says, in this God uh, in whom we live and move and have our being. So our being is grounded in being itself, which is God. John uh, wrote that God is the Logos, or maybe better put uh, that the Logos is a direct byproduct of God. So rather than thinking of God today as a being, we could think of him as being itself. Rather than God existing, perhaps we could think of him as existence itself. Um, Definitions are very important uh, in in philosophy and really in, in conversation. Without definition, all of our conversation ceases to have any meaning. And so when we say the word God, uh, the definition of that has a lot of importance. Um, by definition, the word God implies or, or maybe explicitly claims that it is an exclusive being. If there are multiple beings named God, then the characteristics of what God is would cease to be. 
So when we say that God is all-powerful, we mean that one being is all-powerful. It is logically impossible to have multiple all-powerful beings. When we say God is uncreated or uncaused, we mean that nothing or no one made God. If he was created, then the thing that made God would be God. This raises the dilemma of infinite regression. It's a uh, it's it's nonsense. It's a logical fallacy. You can't have infinite regress in in uh, philosophy and math. It's just it's it's nonsense. Best way to say it. When we say God is outside of time, we mean that He created the existence of time, and so He is not subject to the law of time as individuals like you and I are subject to twenty-four uh, hour days or weeks months, years, aging, decaying, and ultimately dying. If God were subject to chronological time, he would cease to be timeless and cease to be God. So those are just a few examples. And without spending all of our time going through each characteristic of God, we can simply say that God is the highest possible supreme being, or what philosophers like to call him, the uncaused cause meaning that he was uncaused himself, but he is the cause of all existence. He is the cause of all that we can experience. He is the cause of all human nature. He is the cause of morality. Uh, I would say he is the cause of existence himself. Uh, in, in John uh, 1 and 3, it says, All things were made through him, and without him was not anything made that was made. There is, for us apostolics, there's some scripture to substantiate that claim. So... <clears throat> Could it be possible that the omnipotent, that means all-powerful, the omniscient, that means all-knowing, the omnipresent, that means being everywhere at once, or the omnibenevolent, that means all-good, could it be possible that this God exists? I think there's probably only one scripture in, in the entire Bible that we have that kind of invites us to think about the possibility of the existence of God. This is Hebrews eleven six. Uh, they, the author of Hebrews wrote, Without faith it is impossible to please him. Whoever would draw near to God must believe that he exists and that he rewards those who seek him. And so I believe this passage invites us to ponder the existence of God. And so that is what we're going to do uh, next. But before we do that, uh, we're going to make an argument, as I said in, in the beginning, a teleological argument um, and since we already talked about the importance of definitions, uh, let's just take a quick second and talk about the definition of argument. When we use the term argument when we're discussing philosophy or apologetics, um, theology, or even politics, what we do not mean is that we yell at each other or we belittle, belittle each other, call each other vulgar names uh, because of uncontrolled anger or because of a disagreement of positions. Rather, we mean that we provide reasons that support an idea, an action, an action, excuse me, a theory, concept, um, and that is an argument. If you look at a logical definition, it usually means premise, premise, conclusion. That's a logical argument. You make one premise, another premise, it, it has to follow with a conclusion. And so that's what we're going to try to do today. Uh, so us making an argument for the existence of God is not us being mad at atheists or unbelievers and calling them idiots and losers. That would be the wrong argument to make. Um, in fact, I would say it's it's unwise to call them idiots and losers uh, because if we claim to be Christian, we are 
not going to win them over to look at the belief in the existence of God from a Christian perspective. Anyways, the argument we're going to make today is called a teleological argument. Telos, teleological comes from the Greek word telos, and that word means uh, ultimate design and purpose. So we see things and we use examples of telos or teleology in, in everyday items. Um, our phones, our phones have both a design and a purpose. Uh, our clothing has a design and purpose. Vehicles, the homes that we live in, and even the, the wristwatches that we wear have a design and purpose. So there's some telos, there's design and purpose behind a wristwatch. In fact, this is where we get um, the modern teleological argument from. Around 250 years ago, there was an English philosopher named William Paley. He made a philosophical argument for God with a wristwatch analogy. I'm not going to give you his exact argument. Here's the Nick Norris version of that argument. Um, you, could, you could read it for yourself if you want. Look up William Paley wristwatch on Google and you can, you can have all the fun you want. Anyways... Suppose you're taking a walk on one of the beautiful beaches just minutes from us here in Wilmington, North Carolina. If you come across a stone that is laying near the beach, you would not think twice about why the stone is a stone. Nor would you think anything odd about it being placed near the beach. You would not think about its design or its purpose. If, however, you picked up that stone and you found a Rolex watch underneath the stone you would immediately think, this is a nice watch. It's probably not supposed to be here. Uh, you would notice the attention and the detail to its beauty and of its mechanical function. You would probably wonder why a Rolex would be under a rock and on the, on the beach. So it would be irrational to think that the watch came into existence on its own by chance of waves crashing uh, metal and diamond and glass together to somehow form the miraculous creation of this watch. That would be left up to chance if that happened. So the only logical conclusion that we would come to in a situation like this is that the Rolex had a designer or a builder behind it and that that designer had a specific purpose for the watch. We all know the point of a watch. It's simply to tell us what hour of the day it is. And so this moves us into, this is going to be a, a scientific argument in a way, uh, a teleological scientific argument um, <clears throat> for the existence of God. And so we have to ask ourselves, how much more complex is the earth for human life to exist on it than a simple wristwatch? Um, and so I mentioned to the young adults here with us uh, pre-recording that there's a Canadian astrophysicist whose name is Hugh Ross. He was an atheist in his early years because of what he believed science showed to be true. But as he further studied, um, I guess as his knowledge and understanding grew and as scientists continued to study cosmology, cosmology is a nice fancy word for saying the origin of the universe. So as he studied the origin of the universe, um, the science began to point in another direction than that of our beloved Earth being merely a matter of chance. The evidence of a fine-tuning is another way to say teleological fine-tuning of our cosmos. It looks suspiciously designed. 
I don't have uh, sufficient time today to discuss all the intricacies of the earth being as fine-tuned as it is, but we're going to point out a couple of examples today um, that Hugh Ross points out, and you can find much more information if you type Hugh Ross in on YouTube. But one of the things we're going to look at is how intelligent possibly God, if, if he exists and if he created the universe, how intelligent possibly he could be. So there's this stuff called dark energy. It's a new, dis- it's a new discovery for scientists. Um, I'm not an expert on dark energy, but the way I best understand it, it kind of is like a DNA of the universe. It was only discovered in 1999 by scientists just 24 years ago. Uh, It's changed a lot of atheist scientists and and astrophysicists to believing uh, scientists and astrophysicists. It basically codes the growth of the universe. Dark energy makes up about 70% of the stuff that is in in our cosmos. What's interesting about it is that dark energy is so incredibly fine tuned and designed that if it changed at all, all life and the universe would cease to exist. Dark energy is responsible for the expansion of the universe. It's constantly growing. So if dark energy was a little stronger than what scientists measure it to be, our universe would expand so rapidly that gravity would never be able to uh, collect gas and dust in order for stars and planets to form. This would mean that if there's no stars and no planets, life is impossible. Uh, We wouldn't be sitting here having this conversation if dark energy was stronger. If, on the other hand, dark energy was just a fraction weaker than what it is and what scientists can measure it to be, gravity would collect all the gas uh, so rapidly and quickly compress it, forming nothing but black holes and neutron stars. Uh, An interesting fact about these black holes and neutron stars that I've learned from Hugh Ross Um, black holes have a minimum density of 2 billion tons per tablespoon or uh, teaspoon, excuse me. So when you put a teaspoon of sugar into your coffee in a, in a world with too little black energy, you're dumping 2 billion tons per teaspoon of sugar into your coffee. Um, needless to say, density would be so thin again, no atoms, no molecules, uh, even protons and new, uh, Uh, neutrons would not exist. Again, leading to life impossible. So in all of uh, the scientists discovering this this, um, black energy just a couple of decades ago, um, there's been some of the most intelligent physicists who work at Caltech and at MIT. Uh, Hugh Ross, who we've, we've relied on for some points today, he was actually faculty at Caltech for five years. So he's a pretty smart guy himself. Um, But the physicists uh, at Caltech and MIT, uh, thanks to the funding of the U.S. government, were able to build probably the most complex human invention that we have to date. It is called a gravity wave telescope. That's the, I think, everything I can tell, it's the best example of combined human intelligence. The degree of fine-tuning, fine-tuning of black energy in order for planets and stars to exist is, is simply incredible. It is 10 to the 97th power more intelligent than the gravity wave telescope. So what this tells us is that the measurement or the designer, God, of black energy 
He is at a minimum 10 trillion, 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 trillion times more intelligent than the combined physicists. In Isaiah 55, God says his ways are above our ways and his thoughts are above our thoughts. That's just black energy. That's not the complexity of the fine-tuning of the earth. Um, And so there's one really small argument of teleological evidence for the complexity of the earth. Uh, Next, we're going to talk about Jupiter, and this will just be, we're almost, we're almost to an end of this, but Jupiter is really quite an incredible planet. It's, it's the biggest planet. I think if you took all of the planets combined and stuck them in Jupiter, it'd still be two times bigger than all of them. Uh, If Earth is a nickel, Jupiter is a basketball. You could fit Earth into Jupiter over 1,300 times, but that's not what makes Jupiter cool. The size, the mass of it, its density, the placement, and the gravitation of Jupiter, its temperature, everything about Jupiter is not coincidental. It is very specific. Life does not exist on Jupiter, but Jupiter is exactly where it is in our solar system in order for there to be life here on Earth. So the chance of Jupiter accidentally being there through evolution and all of what... uh, some scientists who would not believe in God would say is just random chance and luck. Uh, the odds of Jupiter being there is one chance in 10 to the 1050th power. So the odds of that are the exact same as any single one of us in this room today or listening winning the California lottery. So you have what, 40, 40 million people in California? You win the California lottery 150 times in a row, only purchasing a single ticket. That's the exact chance of Jupiter being exactly where it is. Needless to say, Jupiter is not where we live because if we were on Jupiter, we would not live at all. It is not life-sustaining. But Jupiter is designed and placed. It has design and purpose exactly where it needs to be in order for us to have life here on Earth. So with these couple very simple examples, we can say that the universe is not a matter of chance. It was designed, and the only possible thing that could design it would be a transcendent supreme being, which would have to be God by definition. Um, And so universe is not a matter of chance, which I would say maybe I'm stepping out of my apologetics line, but I would say that we are alive is not merely a matter of biological determinism. Uh, Stepping out of apologetic line, I should say. I'm not stepping out of line here in what we believe. But uh, David said in Psalm 8, When I look at your heavens, the works of your fingers, the moon and the stars, which you have set in place. Uh, He set them exactly where they need to be. He says, What are man that you are mindful of him? And yet we are made in his image. And so apologetic questions like, Why am I here? Or what is my purpose? Or Uh, Am I an accident? These are existential questions that young people have. Um, These are answered because God knew you before you were formed in the womb. And so in conclusion of today's episode of Questionable, um, I have not taken a proverbial drop out of the ocean of evidence of the fine-tuning of our universe. The evidence is overwhelming that our universe was created by a designer and is not an accident. This designer we know to be the Christian God. So next week, we didn't quite get to it, but next week we're going to try to discuss um, uh, evidence, another argument for the existence of God from a completely different angle. 
So you want to tune in next week. We're going to look at objective morality. Thanks for listening. And until next time, you have been enjoying Questionable.